In our refrigerator at home, we have food that we haven't finished yet. Now, some people call it leftovers. Mandy's over up this weekend, and she looked in the refrigerator when she came, and she said, how come it's so empty? I said, well, because there's only two of us that live here now, and, you know, it's a little different than when everybody was there. But we have in there food that we, you know, haven't eaten yet. Some people call it leftovers, but um, I think of it as food we haven't eaten yet. For example, there, there's not many books I've read in one sitting. There are some I've read in one sitting. The Cat and Hat comes to mind. Um, but most books I read and I stop because uh, either it, it, it gets too late or I've had enough. I need to stop and think about it. Uh, there's other things that have to do. And then later I come along and I pick it up again and I finish it. It is not a leftover book. It's a book I haven't finished yet. You see, last week we began a sermon, but I didn't finish it. Uh, today, it is my plan to pick it up again and finish it. This is not leftovers. This is simply something we haven't finished yet. Particularly, you will see, because a 90-minute sermon just really isn't always the best approach to get someone to you know, understand the message you're going to convey. Let's pray, and we're going to begin uh, again looking at where we were. Father, thank you for what a gracious God you are to us. And when we think of the way in which you guide us, direct us, teach us, it comes in many ways. It comes sometimes as we're singing and we're reminded again of what a great God you are. What an awesome and powerful God you are. It comes sometimes as we listen to Scripture And we are reminded of your calling in our life. We are reminded that you are aware of us. It comes as we sit and contemplate and think. And we realize, Lord, we are never alone. Your eye is not only on that sparrow, you indeed do watch over us. Now we're going to spend some time in your word, and we pray you continue to remind us of your presence, of your guidance. Some things in your word are hard to understand. Others are easy to understand, hard to live. I don't know what this is going to be for all of us today as we sit, but I do know it's your word and your truth, and we do need to live it. We do need to make it a part of our lives. So guide us as we look, as we think. And I hope as we follow your leading and guiding uh, that your spirit would minister and touch lives and hearts as only you indeed can do. And for that, we're grateful. And we just want to commit this time to you again as we think of our Savior Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, One time we found something in the freezer that we thought was chili. Ginny found it and she said, there's some chili here. Would you like to have that? I said, yeah. That would be good. It looked chilly-ish. As we began to uh, warm it up and microwave it, uh, it turns out it was spaghetti sauce. Now, that would have, just, it would have been just a little weird having a bowl of spaghetti sauce, particularly when you think you're having a bowl of chili. Um, now, today, we're going to start just with a quick review of last week so you know 
what we are finishing. I hope that it eliminates any weird surprises for you as we try to pull this up. We're again going to be in Matthew chapter 25. If you're not there, I'd encourage you to turn there if you're using the Pew Bible, page 912. Again, that's the Holman Christian Standard. That's what I'll be reading from. So if it confuses you to look at a different uh, translation, you might want to turn there. Matthew chapter 25. Um, we'll look at that. Last week we started with a quiz. I asked you if you made $100 uh, or a thousand dollars, or what is supposed, what is purported to be the national average household income of uh, in, in in last year of sixty two thousand one hundred and seventy five dollars. If you made any of those amounts this past week, how much of that belongs to God? We noted that if your answers, you know, if your answers were ten dollars, one hundred dollars, or six thousand two hundred seventeen dollars and fifty cents then somehow you have misunderstood biblical stewardship because that is not the answer. The correct answer is if you made $100, $100 of it belongs to God, 1000 and 1000 62000 62000 because it all belongs to God. That's the point of stewardship, that we come to that place where we realize that everything we have belongs to God. Now, we saw and we began looking at, you know, that a steward gives a tithe, a portion of all he has to God because he trusts God. It's an expression of his trust and faith in God as as he goes along. And a steward also manages all that he has with the understanding that all he has is God's. It's not just what he gives to God, but everything he has is God. And that that he that uh, what he is showing is that God trusts us with his things. We remember that God trusts us with his things. It's all his things. That car you drove to church this morning, think of it. You would do best to think of it as God's car that's on loan to you. Now, you know, don't do the thing, you know, that you might do with rental cars because that's... You know, you need to remember it's all God's. You're using His stuff. And the way we live, you see, the way we live shows that God can trust us. It's not only that we understand, you know, that these are His things, but we are showing God that He can trust us. That should be part of our motivation, at least, letting God know that you can trust us with your stuff. We noted last week that it's a matter of trust. The degree to which you trust God is reflected in your outlook. It's expressed through your lifestyle. That's all th- All three, well, this is the fourth week, but it's the same subject. All of these weeks that we've been looking at coming together there. Let's reread. Begin with verse 14 with me. Follow along. Verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. It says, For, just, for it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received the five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned uh, two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The first principle, and it's printed in your outline for you there, uh, God owns everything I have. You know, God owns everything that I have. God owns it all. He asks me to manage it to the best of my ability in a way that honors him. And that's what he wants us to do. You know, we pulled out other principles, other thoughts there. If you want to listen to it, you could, if you want to hear more, you can listen online or ask Ron or one of the sound guys to make you a copy of last week. Let's go on. Next session, section verse 19 it says, after a long time, 
The master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You will faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Our second principle that we looked at last week, we said, is that God uses money and possessions to prepare us for his coming kingdom. (coughs) We don't know exactly how all of that works out, but what we see here is as he does that and he rewards them, one of the things he says is, you know, come, come and share, you know, come and share in your master's joy, in your master, you know, master's happiness, some of the translations say. Uh, too many of God's people live for the world that is temporary instead of the world that is eternal. But part of what God gives us here is to remind us, you know, that he is preparing us. And what we said is it's a matter of trust. Okay, there's your first blank to fill in. It's the same thing as last week, but I thought it might be handy for you to write it down again. It's a matter of trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust God enough to live in such a way that God can trust you? That's really what we've been looking at. Do you trust God enough to live in such a way that God can trust you? This is what he begins unfolding here. The degree to which you trust God is reflected in your outlook, expressed through your lifestyle. They are all connected. These are not little separate things that we do. They are all connected. This week, we're going to finish our look at this passage. Let's pull another principle from the verses we just read, uh, you know, where we're talking about this. And, and here's the thing for you. The amount is not important. Now, you're going to take this two ways, but you need to take it the way it is here in the passage. The amount you have is unimportant to God. You see, the amount that you have is unimportant to God. How you handle what he has entrusted to you is very important to him. Now, we get that, we get that back, we get that reversed sometimes. You see, what what happens for us is the amount we have is very important to us, and how we handle it isn't that important to us. But that's not the way it is. The amount you have is is really unimportant to God. God's more concerned with how you handle what you have. That's kind of opposite the way that we think sometimes. But that's the way that it's laid out here. It doesn't matter to God if you have a lot or if you had a little. These servants, you'll notice, all had different amounts. But they were all treated the same. Now, just as a side note to you, some of you have a footnote in your Bible that says something to the effect of that um, that, that a, a talent, it's a, it's a measure of money, one talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. Well, that cleared up a lot for us. <coughs> you see, <coughs> we look at this and we think, <coughs> well, this guy who only got one got cheated. What you don't know, what you may not realize, some of you do, is that a denarius was one day's wage for a common worker. I won't offend you if I think of all of you as kind of common. Uh, I remember uh, Randy Boltema, the guy who led our Bible study, that, you know, just a huge influence on my life. And I remember what he said uh, to us. You know, Randy, was he was a, a cement finisher. He, I don't even, I don't think he went beyond the eighth grade, but that guy poured into my life. But anyway, he said to us one time, he said, uh, 
we're all just dirt people. We kind of all looked at him. He says, you know, we're just dirt people. We're just kind of common, regular people. Even his wife looked, what do you say? You know, we're just kind of all regular people. So don't, don't be offended, but I kind of look at us all as dirt people here. You know, just, we're just kind of regular people. Well, this measure of money, one talent equals 6,000 denarii, a common wage for a man. So one talent equals 6,000 days wages. There you see the math. 16 and a half years of work without even one day off. No paid holidays. No paid vacation. No weekends off. My son-in-law has to work this whole weekend. You know, Mandy's in part of the reason because Michael has to, has to work. Uh, there's some stuff that went on at work this weekend. He's got to work. He had to work yesterday. He's got to work today. And, you know, and, uh, Mandy and I were talking that just, that makes a hard day, you know, when you got, you got this 12, 14 days without a day off. 16 and a half years here. This, this amount is worth, you know, 16 and a half years of your working. So even the guy who received one talent received a significant amount of money. It wasn't a little bit of money. Here's a thought for you. What have you done with your last 16 years of wages? Have you ever thought about it that way? At the beginning of this message, I I told you that the average household income in 2018 was reported to be $62,175. Now, you can say we don't make that much. There's the thing. It's it's a we thing. It's a household. It could be each each spouse making $31,000 or mix it up any way you want. You know, that's 62. Most of you probably exceed that amount. I realize some of you don't. You know, but but, here's the deal. With no raises in 16 and a half years, you will have seen more than one million dollars you would have exceeded having more than one million dollars go through your control what have you done with that million dollars that God has entrusted to your care. Some of us think sometimes, wouldn't it be neat? Wouldn't it be neat to get a million bucks? What we don't realize is, is, is some of us have already had that. What if God came up to you and said, where's my million bucks? You know, where is it? What have you done with it? <clears throat> have you even thought, even give a thought to how you have used all the money that has come through your hands in the last five years? Even the last five years worth of income. What have you done with it? The question is not how much we have. I just want you to realize you have been trusted. You have been entrusted by God with a lot more than you realize. When I, when I started working, you know, and Jenny and I were, you know, we're first married. And I made good money. We always use that phrase. Is there bad money? Money's, money is, is uh, um, an inanimate object. James is pretty clear. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's not the money. It's your attitude toward it. This is what he's talking about here. Our attitude toward our, toward our wealth. When, you know, when we started working, when I started working, and I remember the first year that I worked full time, I made... 14,000 and some odd dollars. 
which in today's money doesn't sound like much. It was a lot of money then. In fact, I, I made so much money at that, at that time, you know, just as for those of you who don't remember, I wasn't a pastor then. You know, I, I did millwright welding work. Uh, I made so much money. I stopped paying Social Security. You only pay Social Security up till you make a certain point of money. I stopped paying Social Security in August. And that was pretty much how it was every year for me at that time. You know, that I stopped. There was no chance of making a million bucks, though. I mean, do the math on that one. $14,000 a year and how many years it would take you to earn a million. There was no chance of making a million bucks. Now, you can still say, no, there isn't. Yes, there is. Add up your income over the last 16 and a half years. Or at your present income. You may have already done your taxes, whether you did or didn't. And somebody said to me one time, you know, well, maybe I asked the question, you know, do we tithe on the net or the, or the gross? That's a ridiculous question to begin with, you know. But uh, I remember, I think I did ask it, and Randy said to me, do you want God to bless the net or the gross? Um, you know, but, but the, 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 you know, the, the, the whole point, we don't realize sometimes how much money actually comes through. So just for kicks, just, for, you know, uh, giggles and snorts, when you're at, you know, after you do your taxes this year, uh, you can take your adjusted gross income if you're cheap or ungrateful. But just take your total income, multiply it by 16, just see what, just for fun, see what number you come up with. You know, and that's if you don't get any raises between now and, and whatever it is. You know, but, but, you know, we have a lot of money. We have a lot that goes through our hands. We don't realize it. For the third week in a row now, we have to face that same question. What am I doing right now with what, his, what God has given me right now? What am I doing with what He's given me right now? Have you honestly answered that question with God? Not just in your own mind. Have you honestly answered this question with God? You know, what, what am I, what am I doing right now with what you have given me right now? Back to our point, because believe it or not, sometimes I stray. Uh, the amount is not important. The first two servants were given vastly different amount, different amounts of money, but both received the same response from God. Well done. Way to go. Dude, you have really done a good job with this stuff. This is what God is telling them. Some people, some people say they make too much money to tithe because 10% would be too much money. And, and mathematically, now you could say, oh, that, that wouldn't be me. No, no, mathematically, just think about this for a minute. Now, if you, if you give me a hundred bucks and I give you 10 bucks, that, that's not, that, that, you know, that's not that big a deal necessarily. You give me a hundred thousand dollars and now you want ten thousand and we can still say that's not big, too big a deal. But then we start thinking of what we could do with that hundred thousand dollars. Or excuse me, with that ten thousand dollars that we give. You make a million dollars and you give a hundred thousand, hundred thousand dollars away. You know what I could do with a hundred thousand dollars? You see, and emotionally then, this becomes a big, this big starts to become a big deal for us. So when we're, when we're, you know, when people say that they make too much money to tithe, you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's not a biblical statement. It's not, a, it's not from biblical thinking. It's from selfish thinking. Others say they make too little money to tithe. They can't afford to give 10%. Our, you see, our, our problem is most often not too little money. Our problem is often too little discipline and too little self-control. It's rarely too little money. I remember, you know, as a kid growing up, and, uh, you know, um, money was uh, tight and understatement. Uh, you know, when my dad left and my mom hadn't worked and then she went to work and, uh, and she just, you, you do what you gotta do. That's one of the things I learned in life. You, you do what you gotta do. And that, that comes not only to work, but with everything else. There's five of us kids. My mom was, you know, well, for a while, Selling World Book Encyclopedias door to door and doing typing, you know, and, and, and things for other people to try to, you know, make some money. And then she, she did get a job, but still money, you know, money was always, was always very tight. And I can remember my mom never had a car. She never learned to drive. She did take driving lessons one time. It was hilarious. But, uh, the, um, you know, she just, she never had a car. She never drove. So if anybody would, if she had to go somewhere, she took the bus. Uh, we didn't take a taxi because they were expensive. So she would take a bus, you know, or someone else would drive us or someone else drove us. And my mom felt she had to pay for the gas and she would do that. She had somebody pick her up from work, you know, for drive her to and from work every day. One of the co-workers who went, you know, we were on their way and, and she paid them for it. And I can remember, and we didn't have a phone now. I mean, then it was attached to the wall, you know, and some of you remember it. When we moved into the parsonage, Marcy called up her friends. She said, there's a f- this phone on the wall. Now, that wasn't unusual. She said, it's got this circle thing on it. <laughs> and you, that's what you do to dial. We didn't have a phone because we couldn't afford it. My mom, I never heard my mom complaining about not having enough money. I, I don't ever remember her complaining about that. Now, as an adult, I realize, yeah, you know, it wasn't there. But our problem too often is not, you know, not too little money. It's too little discipline and too little self-control. You know, mountain is not important. It's the attitude. What do we do with what we keep? You know, what do we do with what we have? That's what's important. Now, some of you struggle with this, uh, and, and and you have a hard time. And you know, Ken and Dana Wyant have, you know, they they not only faced this battle, they went through it, and they they came out the other side, and in a great way. They have gone through the training for. Um, tell me again. That's it. Financial Peace University. I knew I'd get it. Just came out of the sky. Um, so if you want, you, you want information on, on, on any of that, you know, you're struggling with debt and struggling with some of this, talk, seriously, talk with Ken and Dana. They are willing. I asked them. I'm not just laying this out there now. Well, I asked Ken. Dana's just dragged along with it, but I, I did let her know. Uh, you know, but it, seriously, they, they, they'd be thrilled to talk with you about it. Um, you know, but what we do, you know, reveals who we trust. It reveals who we, who we trust influences our outlook. Our outlook influences and directs our lifestyle. Our lifestyle reflects our relationship to God because who you trust comes through your lifestyle. They are all connected.
Last section of verses, verse 24. Let's hit this. Then the man who had received one talent, still a very significant amount of money. Still a very significant amount of money. The guy who had received one talent also approached the master and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But the master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. I like the King James here. You wicked, slothful slave. Uh, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing lazy slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and <laughs> gnashing of teeth. That just always... <coughs> I just always get a real good picture of it. You ever been... Uh, uh, I remember when I ran my finger into the saw blade. Um, there was some gnashing of teeth. I understand. It's it's kind of like it is not. It is not fun. Uh, verse thirty-one. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He'll sit on His throne in glory. Here's the fourth principle for us: stewardship requires action. It requires action. The wicked servant knew what to do. <clears throat> he knew what was expected. Yet he didn't act on what he knew. He did. Nothing. Well, he did something. The action he took was was not productive at all. He went and hid what he was given. He didn't use it. Now, as we think about action, I need to address some people's view on on tithing again. You know, it's a term that means we give ten percent of our income, and and it stems from even before the giving of the law. It comes from what we see Abraham gave a tenth of his wealth to Melchizedek, the high priest. This is what it says in Genesis 14. He, that being Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham. And he said to him, Abram is blessed by God, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And I give praise to God most high who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This was the, before the law, which stipulates the tithe, we think. This was before that. But additional offerings, you know, besides the tithe were stipulated in the law, which really brought their giving to much more than 10%. So, you know, it, it's, they didn't stop at 10%. And they, they started at 10%. The tithe was there. It was to be given first, both as thanks to God for what they had and as an expression of faith and trust to God to continue to provide for them. We've talked about this. What we see... Tithing is simply a regular, it's regular proportional giving. It's not leftover giving. It's not leftover giving. It's intentional, it's regular, it's proportional. Just a few things regarding it. it it's a step of obedience. You know, tithing, regular proportional giving is a step of obedience. I remember going through the struggle of learning this. I'm not going to share it with you, but, you know, God just taught me really clearly. Dude, you know, you said you're going to do this, do it. Uh, you know, some people say tithing is an Old Testament concept, an Old Testament principle. <clears throat> so is don't murder. Just thought for you now. That's still in effect. You could say, well, that, that, you know, but that was repeated in the New Testament. What about tithing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Even if you didn't. 
Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is speaking. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, cumin. Yet you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Those things should have been done without neglecting the others. Jesus is addressing the scribes and the Pharisees here for not doing what they should have been doing. They were cherry-picking scriptures, you see. And what they were doing... They were, you know, they were giving a, a, a tithe. Now, what it says of, of your, you know, you mint, dill, and cumin, these are just the little spices, you know. So they were even giving a tenth of these little things. They weren't overlooking anything. It was all there, but they were neglecting some of the big things. They were neglecting, notice what it says, to apply that balance of justice, mercy, and faith as they rigidly applied that law about tithing in minute detail. They were overlooking, you know, some of the bigger things. But he told them that they should have been applying justice, mercy, and faith while they were tithing. Did you notice what he says? You should do this, he says, without neglecting the others. What? Without neglecting, he says, this this tithing, this important practice uh, uh, standard of theirs, this, this important you know commitment that they had there. Now, if Jesus considered tithing something to be left behind, then he wouldn't have told them that they should have continued it here. We also have instructions that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He was trying to straighten up some of their practices. They weren't quite getting correct. You know, they were getting some things messed up. And this is part of what he writes to them. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside to save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will have to be made when I come. You see, what he's talking about here is upfront proportional giving. It's something that Paul, that God had Paul instruct the Corinthians and believers to do. Giving this way is a step of obedience. But also, it's a matter of integrity. Tithing, giving this way, regular proportional giving, it's a matter of integrity in our living with God. In Malachi chapter 3, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making payments of the tenth and contributions, you are suffering under a curse. Uh, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, God directs the prophet Malachi here uh, you know, to rebuke the people for neglecting to give a 10%. He says, you know, how, how do you do that? You're robbing me. How? They said, well, he says, by, by, by not giving a tenth and the contributions, he says. It's not just that, but the contributions. Giving, giving a tenth is not the goal to stop at. It's not really the goal. It's a base to begin at. You know, it, it's not to give is putting yourself before God. It's putting, you know, your, your wants and desires before God. It, it's failing a test of stewardship. As it says here, it's actually robbing God. Why? Because you're taking his stuff and you're withholding it from him. You're taking his stuff and you're using it your own way. Let's go on. Psalm 116 says, How can I repay the Lord for all the good that he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of Yahweh. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. You see, tithing, regular proportional giving is also an expression of our gratitude to God for all that he has already done for us. We are expressing our gratitude to him for what he has already done for us. 
When we give, we're not repaying God. That's not what we're doing. We're not repaying him. We're not paying off an obligation so that we can have the rest. What we're doing is expressing our thanks to God and our commitment to him to manage everything we have well. This is what we're telling him. Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, we honor God as we give. It's an expression of our faith. It's an expression of our thanks to him for his provision for us in all that we give. We tithe as a church. As a church, you know, as a church body, we tithe. We give we have the board has set up where we give a minimum of 10% of our offerings to missions that it goes out from us and it goes to support missions and mission organizations missionaries uh you know and and the tithe that 10% that should be a, a, a maximum a, a minimum you stop at not a maximum you know that 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 you're going for that you stop there it's that minimum where you start if you haven't, if you haven't taken that step of obedience yet, you, you need, you need to start. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust and it's two-way trust. We show God that we trust Him to care for us. And we're also showing God that He can trust us with the stuff He's given to our control. He can trust us to manage for Him. It is all His. We are simply managers. We are simply stewards. Don't live like an owner. It's not your stuff. It's God's stuff. God owns everything I have. He has the rights. I have the responsibility. God uses that money and possessions to prepare me for his coming kingdom. The amount I have is not important. It's my attitude, my attitude toward what I have and how I handle what I have is very important to him. And stewardship requires actions. My actions are the choices that make up my lifestyle, which is directed by my outlook, which is influenced by who I trust. It's all connected. It's a matter of trust. Live like you trust God and like he can trust you. Now, the good news for you is next week, while we finish up this stewardship thing, we're kind of done talking about money, but... You know, we, that's not all of stewardship. And we're going to go on just one more week and hit that. And then, um, we're going to start looking at uh, a series in Philippians, which I kind of tentatively am thinking of to take us to Easter. Um, in this I rejoice. But anyway, something toward that effect. But anyway, uh, you know, live in a way that you can rejoice. Because you live trusting God and in such a way that he can trust you.